0: Section 5 of Letters of Pliny by Pliny the Younger Translated by William Melmoth Revised by F. C. T. Bosanquet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by Andrew Coleman Letters 26 to 31 Letter 26 To Calvisius I never, I think, spent any time more agreeably Than my time lately with Spurina so agreeably indeed that if ever i should arrive at old age there is no man whom i would sooner choose for my model for nothing can be more perfect in arrangement than his mode of life i look upon order in human actions especially at that advanced age with the same sort of pleasure as i behold the settled course of the heavenly bodies in young men indeed A little confusion and disarrangement is all well enough, but in age, when business is unseasonable and ambition indecent, all should be composed and uniform. This rule Spurina observes with most religious consistency. Even in those matters which one might call insignificant, were they not of everyday occurrence, he observes a certain periodical season and method the early morning he passes on his couch at eight he calls for his slippers and walks three miles exercising mind and body together on his return if he has any friends in the house with him he gets upon some entertaining and interesting topic of conversation if by himself some book is read to him sometimes when visitors are there even if agreeable to the company then he has a rest and after that either takes up a book, or resumes his conversation in preference to reading. By-and-by he goes out for a drive in his carriage, either with his wife, a most admirable woman, or with some friend, a happiness which lately was mine. How agreeable, how delightful it is getting a quiet time alone with him in this way! You could imagine you were listening to some worthy of ancient times. What deeds! what men you hear about, and with what noble precepts you are imbued, yet all delivered with so modest an air that there is not the least appearance of dictating. When he has gone about seven miles, he gets out of his chariot and walks a mile more, after which he returns home, and either takes a rest or goes back to his couch and writing, for he composes most elegant lyrics, both in Greek and Latin, so wonderfully soft sweet and gay they are while the author's own unsullied life lends them additional charm when the barns are ready which in winter is about three o'clock and in summer about two he undresses himself and if there happen to be no wind walks for some time in the sun after this he has a good brisk game of tennis for by this sort of exercise too he combats the effects of old age when he has bathed he throws himself upon his couch but waits a little before he begins eating and in the meanwhile has some light and entertaining author read to him in this as in all the rest his friends are at full liberty to share or to employ themselves in any other way just as they prefer you sit down to an elegant dinner without extravagant display which is served up in antique plate of pure silver. He has another complete service in Corinthian metal, which, though he admires as a curiosity, is far from being his passion. During dinner he is frequently entertained with the recital of some dramatic piece by way of seasoning his very pleasures with study, and although he continues at the table even in summer till the night is somewhat advanced, yet he prolongs the entertainment with so much affability and politeness that none of his guests ever finds it tedious by this method of living he has preserved all his senses entire and his body vigorous and active to his seventy-eighth year without showing any sign of old age except wisdom this is the sort of life i ardently aspire after AS I PURPOSE ENJOYING IT WHEN I SHALL ARRIVE AT THOSE YEARS WHICH WILL JUSTIFY A RETREAT FROM ACTIVE LIFE. MEANWHILE, I AM EMBARRASSED WITH A THOUSAND AFFAIRS, IN WHICH SPIRINA IS AT ONCE MY SUPPORT AND MY EXAMPLE, FOR HE, TOO, SO LONG AS IT BECAME HIM, DISCHARGED HIS PROFESSIONAL DUTIES, HELD MAGISTRACIES, GOVERNED PROVINCES, AND BY toiling HARD, earned the repose he now enjoys. I propose to myself the same career and the same limits, and I here give it to you under my hand that I do so. If an ill-timed ambition should carry me beyond those bounds, produce this very letter of mine in court against me, and condemn me to repose whenever I enjoy it without being reproached with indolence. Farewell. Letter twenty-seven, To Bibius Macca. It gives me great pleasure to find you such a reader of my uncle's works, as to wish to have a complete collection of them, and to ask me for the names of them all. I will act as index then, and you shall know the very order in which they were written, for the studious reader likes to know this. The first work of his was a treatise in one volume, on the use of the dart by cavalry. This he wrote when in command of one of the cavalry corps of our Allied troops, and is drawn up with great care and ingenuity. The Life of Pomponius Secundus in two volumes. Pomponius had a great affection for him, and he thought he owed this tribute to his memory. The history of the wars in Germany in twenty books, in which he gave an account of all the battles we were engaged in against that nation. A dream he had, while serving in the army in Germany, first suggested the design of this work to him. He imagined that Drusus Nero, who extended his conquest very far into that country, and there lost his life, appeared to him in his sleep, and entreated him to rescue his memory from oblivion next comes a work entitled the student in three parts which from their length spread into six volumes a work in which is discussed the earliest training and subsequent education of the orator questions of grammar and style in eight books written in the latter part of nero's reign when the tyranny of the times made it dangerous to engage in literary pursuits requiring freedom and elevation of tone. He has completed the history which Alphidius Bassus left unfinished, and has added to it thirty books. And lastly, he has left thirty-seven books on natural history, a work of great compass and learning and as full of variety as nature herself. You will wonder how a man as busy as he was could find time to compose so many books, and some of them too involving such care and labour. But you will be still more surprised when you hear that he pleaded at the bar for some time, that he died in his sixty-sixth year, that the intervening time was employed partly in the execution of the highest official duties, partly in attendance upon those emperors who honoured him with their friendship. But he had a quick apprehension, marvellous power of application, and was of an exceedingly wakeful temperament. He always began to study at midnight, at the time of the Feast of Vulcan, not for the sake of good luck, but for learning's sake. In winter generally, at one in the morning, but never later than two, and often at twelve. He was a most ready sleeper, insomuch that he would sometimes, whilst in the midst of his studies, fall off, and then wake up again. Before daybreak, he used to wait upon Vespasian, who also used his nights for transacting business in, and then proceed to execute the orders he had received. As soon as he returned home, he gave what time was left to study. After a short and light refreshment at noon, agreeably to the good old custom of our ancestors, he would frequently in the summer, if he was disengaged from business, lie down and bask in the sun, during which time some author was read to him, while he took notes and made extracts. For every book he read, he made extracts out of indeed it was a maxim of his that no book was so bad but some good might be got out of it when this was over he generally took a cold bath then some light refreshment and a little nap after this as if it had been a new day he studied till supper-time when a book was again read to him which he would take down running notes upon i remember once His reader, having mispronounced a word, one of my uncle's friends at the table made him go back to where the word was, and repeat it again. Upon which my uncle said to his friend, Surely you understood it. Upon his acknowledging that he did, Why then, said he, did you make him go back again? We have lost more than ten lines by this interruption. Such an economist he was of time. In the summer he used to rise from supper at daylight and in winter as soon as it was dark, a rule he observed as strictly as if it had been a law of the state. Such was his manner of life amid the bustle and turmoil of the town. But in the country his whole time was devoted to study, excepting only when he bathed. In this exception I include no more than the time during which he was actually in the bath for all the while he was being rubbed and wiped he was employed either in hearing some book read to him or in dictating himself in going about anywhere as though he were disengaged from all other business he applied his mind wholly to that single pursuit a shorthand writer constantly attended him with book and tablets who in the winter wore a particular sort of warm gloves THAT THE SHARPNESS OF THE WINTER MIGHT NOT OCCASION ANY INTERRUPTION TO MY UNCLE'S STUDIES, AND FOR THE SAME REASON, WHEN IN ROME, HE WAS ALWAYS CARRIED IN A CHAIR. I RECOLLECT HIS ONCE TAKING ME TO TASK FOR WALKING. YOU NEED NOT, HE SAID, LOSE THESE HOURS, FOR HE THOUGHT EVERY HOUR GONE THAT WAS NOT GIVEN TO STUDY. Through this extraordinary application he found time to compose the several treatises I have mentioned, besides one hundred and sixty volumes of extracts which he left me in his will, consisting of a kind of commonplace, written on both sides in very small hand, so that one might fairly reckon the number considerably more. He used himself to tell us that when he was Comptroller of the Revenue in Spain, He could have sold these manuscripts to Largius Licinus for four hundred thousand sesterces, and then there were not so many of them. When you consider the books he has read, and the volumes he has written, are you not inclined to suspect that he never was engaged in public duties, or was ever in the confidence of his prince? On the other hand, when you are told how indefatigable he was in his studies are you not inclined to wonder that he read and wrote no more than he did for on one side what obstacles would not the business of a court throw in his way and on the other what is it that such intense application might not effect it amuses me then when i hear myself called a studious man who in comparison with him am the merest idler. But why do I mention myself, who am diverted from these pursuits by numberless affairs, both public and private? Who amongst those whose whole lives are devoted to literary pursuits would not blush and feel himself the most confirmed of sluggards by the side of him? I see I have run out my letter further than I had originally intended, which was only to let you know, as you asked me, what works he had left behind him but i trust this will be no less acceptable to you than the books themselves as it may possibly not only excite your curiosity to read his works but also your emulation to copy his example by some attempts of a similar nature farewell letter twenty eight to annius severus I have lately purchased, with the legacy that was left me, a small statue of Corinthian brass. It is small indeed, but elegant and lifelike, as far as I can form any judgment, which most certainly in matters of this sort, as perhaps in all others, is extremely defective. However, I do see the beauties of this figure. For as it is naked, the faults, if there be any, as well as the perfections are the more observable it represents an old man in an erect attitude the bones muscles veins and the very wrinkles give the impression of breathing life the hair is thin and failing the forehead broad the face shriveled the throat lank the arms loose and hanging the breast shrunken and the belly fallen in, As the whole turn and air Of the figure behind two Is equally expressive of old age. It appears to be true antique, Judging from the colour of the brass. In short, it is such a masterpiece As would strike the eyes of a connoisseur, And which cannot fail to charm An ordinary observer. And this induced me Who am an absolute novice in this art, To buy it. But I did so, Not with any intention of placing it In my own house, For I have nothing of the kind there, But with the design of fixing it In some conspicuous place In my native province. I should like it best, In the temple of Jupiter, For it is a gift well worthy of a temple, Well worthy of a god, i desire therefore you would with that care with which you always perform my requests undertake this commission and give immediate orders for a pedestal to be made for it out of what marble you please but let my name be engraved upon it and if you think proper to add these as well my titles i will send the statue by the first person i can find who will not mind the trouble of it or possibly Which I'm sure you will like better. I may myself bring it along with me. For I intend, if business can spare me, that is to say, To make an excursion over to you. I see joy in your looks when I promise to come, But you will soon change your countenance, When I add, only for a few days, For the same business that at present keeps me here Will prevent my making a longer stay. Farewell. Letter 29. To Caninius Rufus. I have just been informed that Silius Italicus has starved himself to death at his villa near Naples. Ill health was the cause. Being troubled with an incurable cancerous tumour, he grew weary of life and therefore put an end to it with a determination not to be moved. He had been extremely fortunate all through his life, with the exception of the death of the younger of his two sons. However, he has left behind him the elder and the worthier man of the two, in a position of distinction, having even attained consular rank. His reputation had suffered a little in Nero's time as he was suspected of having officiously joined in some of the informations in that reign. But he used his interest with Vitellius, with great discretion and humanity. He acquired considerable honour by his administration of the government of Asia, and, by his good conduct after his retirement from business, cleared his character from that stain which his former public exertions had thrown upon it he lived as a private nobleman without power and consequently without envy though he was frequently confined to his bed and always to his room yet he was highly respected and much visited not with an interested view but on his own account he employed his time between conversing with literary men and composing verses which he sometimes read out by way of testing the public opinion but they evidence more industry than genius in the decline of his years he entirely quitted rome and lived altogether in campania from whence even the accession of the new emperor could not draw him a circumstance which i mention as much to the honour of caesar who was not displeased with that liberty as of vitalicus who was not afraid to make use of it. He was reproached with indulging his taste for the fine arts at an immoderate expense. He had several villas in the same province, and the last purchase was always the especial favourite, to the neglect of all the rest. These residences overflowed with books, statues, and pictures, which he more than enjoyed, he even adored, particularly that of Virgil, of whom he was so passionate an admirer that he celebrated the anniversary of that poet's birthday with more solemnity than his own, at Naples especially, where he used to approach his tomb as if it had been a temple. In this tranquillity he passed his seventy-fifth year with a delicate, rather than an infirm constitution. As he was the last person upon whom Nero conferred the consular office, so he was the last survivor of all those who had been raised by him to that dignity. It is also remarkable that, as he was the last to die of Nero's consuls, so Nero died when he was consul. Recollecting this, a feeling of pity for the transitory condition of mankind comes over me. Is there anything in nature so short and limited as human life, even at its longest? Does it not seem to you but yesterday that Nero was alive? And yet not one of all those who were consuls in his reign now remains. Though why should I wonder at this? Lucius Piso the father of that Piso, who was so infamously assassinated by Valerius Festus in Africa, used to say he did not see one person in the Senate whose opinion he had consulted when he was consul. In so short a space is the very term of life of such a multitude of beings comprised, so that to me those royal tears seem not only worthy of pardon, but of praise, for it is said that Xerxes, on surveying his immense army, wept at the reflection that so many thousand lives would, in such a short space of time, be extinct. The more ardent, therefore, should be our zeal to lengthen out this frail and transient portion of existence, if not by our deeds For the opportunities of this Are not in our power Yet certainly by our literary accomplishments And since long life is denied us Let us transmit to posterity Some memorial that we have at least lived I well know you need no incitements But the warmth of my affection for you Inclines me to urge you on In the course you are already pursuing Just as you have so often urged me happy rivalry, when two friends strive in this way, which of them shall animate the other most in their mutual pursuit of immortal fame? Farewell. LETTER THIRTY To Spurina and Cotia I did not tell you, when I paid you my last visit, that I had composed something in praise of your son, because, in the first place, i wrote it not for the sake of talking about my performance but simply to satisfy my affection to console my sorrow for the loss of him again as you told me my dear Sperina, that you had heard i had been reciting a piece of mine i imagined you had also heard at the same time what was the subject of the recital and besides I was afraid of casting a gloom of your cheerfulness in that festive season by reviving the remembrance of that heavy sorrow. And even now I have hesitated a little whether I should gratify you both in your joint request by sending only what I recited or add to it what I am thinking of keeping back for another essay it does not satisfy my feelings to devote only one little tract to a memory so dear and sacred to me and it seemed also more to the interest of his fame to have it thus disseminated by separate pieces but the consideration that it will be more open and friendly to send you the whole now rather than keep back some of it to another time has determined me to do the former especially as I have your promise that it shall not be communicated by either of you to any one else until I shall think proper to publish it. The only remaining favour I ask is that you will give me a proof of the same unreserve by pointing out to me what you shall judge would be best altered, omitted, or added. It is difficult, For mind in affliction To concentrate itself Upon such little cares However As you would direct A painter or sculptor Who was representing The figure of your son What parts he should retouch Or express So I hope you will guide And inform my hand In this more durable Or As you are pleased to think it This immortal likeness Which I am endeavouring to execute For the truer to the original the more perfect and finished it is, so much the more lasting it is likely to prove. Farewell. Letter thirty one. To Julius Genitor. It is just like the generous disposition of Artemidorus to magnify the kindnesses of his friends. Hence he praises my deserts, though he is really indebted to me, beyond their due it is true indeed that when the philosophers were expelled from rome i visited him at his house near the city and ran the greater risk in paying him that civility as it was more noticeable then i being praetor at the time i supplied him too with a considerable sum to pay certain debts he had contracted upon very honourable occasions without charging interest though obliged to borrow the money myself while the rest of his rich, powerful friends stood by hesitating about giving him assistance. I did this at a time when seven of my friends were either executed or banished. Senecio, Rusticus, and Helvidius having just been put to death, while Moricus, Gratilla, Aria, and Fania were sent into exile and scorched, as it were, by so many lightning bolts of the state thus hurled and flashing round me, I augured, by no uncertain tokens, my own impending doom. But I do not look upon myself, on that account, as deserving of the high praises my friend bestows upon me. All I pretend to is the being clear of the infamous guilt of abandoning him in his misfortunes. I had, as far as the differences between our ages would admit, a friendship for his father-in-law Musonius, whom I both loved and esteemed, while Artemidorus himself I entered into the closest intimacy with when I was serving as a military tribune in Syria. And I consider as a proof that there is some good in me the fact of my being so early capable of appreciating a man who is either a philosopher or the nearest resemblance to one possible. For I am sure that, amongst all those who at the present day call themselves philosophers, you will find hardly any one of them so full of sincerity and truth as he. I forbear to mention how patient he is of heat and cold alike, how indefatigable in labour, how abstemious in his food, and what an absolute restraint he puts upon all his appetites. For these qualities, considerable as they would certainly be in any other character, are less noticeable by the side of the rest of those virtues of his which recommended him to Mosonius for a son-in-law, in in preference to so many others of all rank who paid their addresses to his daughter and when i think of all these things i cannot help feeling pleasurably affected by those unqualified terms of praise in which he speaks of me to you as well as to every one else i am only apprehensive lest the warmth of his kind feeling carry him beyond the due limits for he who is so free from all other errors, is apt to fall into just this one good-natured one of overrating the merits of his friends. Farewell. End of section 5